A Fifth Visitor, or How Scrooge Kept Christmas, Chapter 2. Everything. I lost everything because of you and your partner. My wife, my son. I don't even know where he is. He could be dead too, for all I know. He went away to find work, to help us. He doesn't even know she's... That thought suddenly changed him. His anger was replaced by a cloak of sadness, and his grip on Scrooge's neck weakened a little. He still couldn't breathe or escape, but he managed to get out a single word. Please. The broken man turned back to him, quickly and viciously. Please? Now you're begging for your life? Who says there ain't no justice in this world, eh? There was something that could almost be described as joy in his eyes. And now I find myself in the perfect position to dispense some justice of my own. Not just for myself, but for everyone else you forced out onto these wild, rotten streets. I'll be hanged for it, but at least I'll die a hero. They'll be rejoicing in the streets. They'll divide up your clothes and possessions, as if you was just another nobody like me. I know. I've seen it. Scrooge managed to get out. What? It doesn't matter. He was, of course, talking about what the ghosts of Christmas yet to be had shown him on that fateful night. But he saw little reason in wasting his final breaths by explaining it to his would-be murderer. Everyone deserves a second chance. The words echoed around his head as the outside world started to fade away. A second chance? The man scoffed. You think you deserve a second chance? you got quite a sense of humour for a dead man, don't you? Despite his words, Scrooge could feel the grip around his neck loosen just a little bit, just enough for him to get more words out. Me? Honestly, sir, I'm not certain that I do. All the wrong I've done with my life. All the lives I've destroyed. All I could do was try and make up for it. But honestly, I'm not sure I ever can. Good men, better men than me, deserve second chances. No, sir, I was talking about you. The man loosened his grip a little more, and, probably more as a sign that his arm was tiring than anything else, he eased Scrooge down to the ground, but stopped short of releasing him completely. What do you mean? he said. You need, you deserve a second chance. A wheezy cough escaped from Scrooge's throat, and mercifully he felt the man's grip give a little. I can give you that chance. I owe you more than that, I know. But I can start by giving you a roof over your head, and new clothes. The man looked away for a moment, and seemed to be considering Scrooge's proposal. Then, Something brought him back to the way he'd been thus far. Most likely his pride. Listen, if you think you can buy my forgiveness by... No, Scrooge said, finally. That's certainly not what I'm trying to do. I just want to help. No, I'm not doing this for forgiveness, sir. What I do from day to day, now at least, is try to put some good into the world. Good for goodness sake, not for any reward just to try and make the world a better place in which to live. 
If you can forgive me one day, then I'm not going to lie. That would be nice. But only as a happy consequence of knowing that I've made your life more, well, more than it is presently. The man had almost completely released his grip on his neck now, and his hand was more or less just resting on Scrooge's shoulder. He could see that he was getting through, gradually. He just had to keep pushing. Please, just let me help you. Let them help you. I have a shelter with the marvellous staff. Some of the best and kindest people I've ever known. Scrooge could see that the man was at a tipping point. He wasn't sure how he'd react to what he was about to say. It could push him either way, but he had to risk it. You're a good man, I can see that. And from that, I can see that you're a good father. At that, he looked sharply at Scrooge. He looked like he was torn, unable to decide what to do. Then suddenly his expression softened, and tears were trickling from the corners of his eyes. The last, the last thing I said to him was, it wasn't true, I... It doesn't matter, Scrooge interrupted. You know why? Because what's more important is what you're going to say to him next. The man looked at Scrooge, his mouth gaping. He was speechless. I'm going to find him. If it takes the rest of my miserable, wasted life, I'm going to find your boy and return him to you, where he belongs. The man still couldn't speak. It was as if Scrooge was the one now doing the strangling. How? He managed to get out at last. How will you find him? Never you mind about that, young man. Just know that I will. Let your heart be lighter in that knowledge. And please, let me take you to a place where they'll look after you. You'll get your own room, some new clothes, and there's a huge fire for you to warm yourself by. The man, Charles his name was, he told Scrooge, needed no more convincing. Over the duration of the short walk to the shelter, he told Scrooge everything he could about George, his missing son. He even gave him one of the only pictures he had of him. It was crinkled, torn and soiled from the years that had kept him company on the cold, lonely streets, and at first Scrooge refused to take it. Please, Charles insisted, take it, so you can find him quicker. I have my memories, they're enough for now, and if you find him, when you find him, I'll have new memories to look back on. So Scrooge took the picture, with a promise to return it, along with Charles's son. The Jacob Marley home for the homeless was everything Scrooge had promised it would be, and more. At first, he hadn't been sure what to call the place. He didn't want to name it after himself, because he didn't want to seem conceited. And he didn't want to name it the Scrooge and Marley home for the homeless, because of the associations people would draw from their two names side by side. So, in the end, he settled on what the place was now called. Scrooge thought it wholly appropriate and just that the man who ultimately saved him should be given credit for saving others as well. As soon as they opened the green doors, the heat from inside swept over them like a wave. The fine staff welcomed Charles with open arms, and because Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge himself had brought him, he was treated more like a king than a fallen toy shop owner. Scrooge made sure he got one of the best rooms in the house, and as he got the first cut of the glorious goose that Mrs. McGuinness had just liberated from the oven. Once Charles had settled in and joined the others sat in a semicircle around the raging fireplace, 
Scrooge took a look around. He couldn't help but feel proud of what had been achieved there. When he first came across the old place again, it had been in a sad state of disrepair. Just another forgotten warehouse taking up space on the street. It was only when the ghosts of Christmas past had forced him to revisit that he remembered where it was and how much joy had emanated from the very walls and people who worked there. Yes, old Fezziwig, had he still been alive, would be pleased to see the place back to its former glory. The only thing that was missing this Christmas Eve was the dancing, but the spirit of hope and joy that Fezziwig's parties always brought to people's hearts was there nonetheless. Scrooge went from room to room, checking on the poor souls who had found themselves back there once again. He listened to their woes, did his best to comfort them, and invited them to join him and the others by the fire. It brought Scrooge some relief to see that Charles was now regarding him with more warmth than before. Perhaps he'd seen from his actions that he truly had changed and wanted to help, to make up for the sadness he had brought upon him. Several mince pies and glasses of wine later, Scrooge decided it was time to head home. As he walked up the old familiar street, admiring the lovingly decorated fir trees in the windows, his happy, joyous thoughts were snatched away and replaced by fearsome ones. Regrets of a life half-lived, love lost, and many enemies made. Incidents like the one in the alley were rare these days, but they still occurred and still affected him deeply. He found himself at his door now, and as he fumbled in his pocket for the key, the door knocker caught his eye. Sometimes he could stand to look upon it, yet other times he saw Jacob's fraught face again, and he had to turn away. The pain of regret was like a knife in his side, which only got deeper the more he resisted. Therefore, this time, he looked up at it and tried to remember all the good that had come of that Christmas Eve five years past. How his fate and the fates of Tiny Tim and many others like Charles had hopefully been altered. He liked to think that life was better now for everyone. But even as these happy thoughts flooded his mind, he couldn't help but feel some darkness slip back into his heart. Oh, not the kind of darkness that would alter his mindset and change him back into the Ebenezer Scrooge of old, but the kind that brought deep remorse and regret. He would never truly return the favour, not a grand enough word, but the only one that came close, that poor old Jacob had done for him. Yes, he was now leading a better life, but he had no way of knowing if what Jacob had done for him had had any great effect on Jacob's own circumstances. Sometimes this knowledge, or the lack of it, ate away at his now fair heart, but this in turn only spurred him on to do even greater deeds, which would make Jacob proud. Scrooge swallowed and turned the key, and the blasts of warmth greeted him, as well as Wilkins. "'Good evening, Wilkins, and a happy Christmas Eve to you,' said Scrooge, as he brushed the snow off his coat. "'I know I probably said that to you this morning, but I find that one can never say it enough, especially since it comes but once a year.' Agreed, Mr. Scrooge, replied Wilkins, with a warm glow in his smile. So a happy Christmas Eve to you too, sir. I see you've kept the house nice and toasty. Yes, sir, and the fire in your bedchambers is roaring heartily, Wilkins said enthusiastically. Very good, Scrooge said, as he took off his jacket and handed it to his manservant. Then he suddenly remembered something. Are we still on for cards tonight? I'm due a win, I think. 
Wilkins suddenly looked very apologetic. Um, it's Christmas Eve, Mr. Scrooge. Yes, yes, and happy Christmas Eve to you again, Mr. Wilkins. Thank you, Mr. Scrooge, but I just meant that I usually meet up with Joe and some of the other servants this night, traditionally, I mean, to make merry and all that. Scrooge could feel his face go blank for a moment, and then he remembered for himself. Oh, yes, of course. Forgive an old man's memory, won't you? Have one on me, he said, as he reached into his pocket for a few shillings. No, 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 Mr. Scrooge. I couldn't possibly take any more of your generosity. You've been kind enough this season. As I've told you many a time, Mary and I are so grateful for my duties here. Why don't you come along with us, Mr. Scrooge? You'd be more than welcome, sir. It seemed to Wilkins that his master was considering the proposal with some seriousness, as his eyes seemed to be looking off into the distance. No, no, I I think I'll stay in tonight, Wilkins. I've had rather an eventful evening, which has wearied my old bones, but I promise to take you up on your offer another time. I have certain traditions of my own that need seeing to tonight. He looked up to the top of the stairs, grimly, as he said this, then snapped back to Wilkins. He pulled his hand out of his pocket and opened it to reveal three shiny shillings. I think you dropped these, Wilkins, Scrooge said, with a grin that couldn't be contained. Mr. Scrooge, you're terrible, Wilkins said matter-of-factly, as he took them from his palm. He knew full well that if he didn't take them now, his master would find some way of getting them on his person. Have a good night, Mr. Wilkins, Scrooge bellowed, as his manservant retreated to his chambers. And the same to you, Mr. Scrooge, Wilkins said, leaving Scrooge alone in the hall. About six months ago, he converted the downstairs lounge which he rarely made any use of anyway, into living quarters for Bertie Wilkins and his lovely wife Mary. He'd overheard Wilkins describing his woes to the landlord of the Fox and Goose, and had decided to offer him a job on the spot, something he never would have done in the bad old days. It was good to have a young family around, and their laughter, which filled the empty halls, always brought a smile to his face. Scrooge slowly made his way up the stairs. Of all the things that had changed about the old place... The creaky stairs were not one of them. Every time Scrooge climbed those stairs, the nights that Jacob and the three other spirits came to visit was at the forefront of his mind. The events of that night always imposed their influence on him, making him strive to better himself every day. However, certain aspects, particularly seeing his own grave, he would try not to dwell upon as it sent him cold with a fear of death that naturally grips us all. As he got to the top of the stairs, the sudden burst of warm air from under the door retrieved Scrooge's temporarily dampened spirit back to the reality of the present. He'd been out for most of the day, and Wilkins always made sure to keep the door closed once he'd set the fire going. It wasn't something that Scrooge insisted upon. In fact, it wasn't even his idea. It was just one of the many ways Wilkins had of showing his master how grateful he was for what he'd done for him. He stopped for a moment to take in the glorious fire. If it hadn't been for the guard, it would have been in serious danger of engulfing the room in its luxurious flames. All the decorations were in place. You may find it odd that someone would have Christmas decorations in their bedchambers, but Scrooge's name was now synonymous with Christmas, goodwill and festivity, so it should come as no surprise 
that he had organised and helped to decorate his entire home with decorations. Wilkins and his wife took care of the downstairs, while Scrooge had revelled in decorating the entirety of the upstairs rooms. Every picture was adorned with garlands and paper chains hanging down either side, and almost every wall had handmade letters hung up on string, spelling out Merry Christmas. The tree was quite a sight to behold. Amongst the candles were various decorations, tin toys, dried fruit and gingerbread, sparkling in the firelight. There were several trees of varying heights scattered throughout the house, but the one which kept Scrooge's reading chair company was his favourite, as it was always his first sight in the morning at this time of year. Scrooge sat down in his chair between the fireplace and the tree. The whisky and glass were sat there on the small table, as usual, along with the book he'd been reading, a series of Christmas stories by a local author. But before he could start reading and settle down for the night, there was a tradition to uphold. So he filled his glass right to the top, stood up, and raised it high into the air. A Merry Christmas to you, Jacob Marley, my old friend, wherever you are. I hope that you are at peace. Scrooge came to with a start as the old grandfather clock struck twelve. His book had dropped to the floor, and although the whisky glass was still in his hand, most of the contents had spilled out. It took him a moment to realise what had happened, and as he did, he chuckled to himself. Every year without fail, he said, pulling himself up out of the old chair. He noticed that the fire, which had been a virtual inferno, had now dwindled down to something far more subtle and comfortable. And he watched, the flames dancing around each other, vying for his attention. He removed the guard and immediately felt the sharp heat once more. That lad can surely make a fire, Scrooge thought. What did I ever do without him? He momentarily toyed with the notion of going downstairs and wishing the Wilkins a very early Merry Christmas. He knew that they'd be back from the pub by now, but then decided against it. He always liked to keep this night to himself, to ponder on what he used to be and how far he had come. All his nightclothes were laid out on the four-poster bed, and the bumps at the end of it told him that Wilkins had placed two bedpans of hot water in there to keep his master company. "'God bless you, Bertie Wilkins,' Scrooge said, as he got changed into his nightclothes. He was about to ease himself into the warm comfort of the bed, and he suddenly felt a cold chill on the back of his neck. "'Strange,' Scrooge thought, as all the windows were closed.' and the fire was still dancing away. He looked around carefully to see if there was any other explanation. Maybe one of the windows was open a crack, but there was nothing. He almost left it there and dismissed the cold chill as some random draught from an unseen crack in the floorboards or wall. But then he saw something move. A shadow on the edge of the darkness that the light from the fire couldn't reach. Instinctively, Scrooge reached under the bedsheets and grabbed one of the pans. Some of the water spilled out onto his hands, but luckily it was only lukewarm by now and didn't scald him. He looked again at the place where the shadow had been, half expecting it to have backed off into the darkness to defend itself, but it was still there. In fact, 
Whoever it was that the shadow belonged to was moving towards him in short, sharp steps, as if they were just get, getting used to the act of walking. Scrooge didn't know what to do. If whoever it was meant to do him harm, there was no way he could get to the door in time. No, he would have to stand his ground and hope that maybe, somehow, he could overpower the man. At least this way, he wouldn't have to turn his back on whoever it was. As the figure got closer and closer, he realised something. Whoever it was, his footsteps were making no sound on the floorboards. Maybe he didn't have any shoes on. He dismissed this straight out of hand, because surely he'd still make some kind of sound, as he himself was doing in his bare feet. Then it dawned on him. It should have been obvious to a man with Ebenezer Scrooge's experience. He squinted, attempting to see if what he hoped in his heart was true. Jacob? Jacob Marley, my friend? Is it really you? He bellowed. The spirit was free from the shadows now, and glowing in the hazy moonlight. Scrooge dropped the bedpan, and as he fell to his knees, he could barely feel the lukewarm water soak into his nightgown, because no, it was not Jacob Marley. The joy in his heart was immediately replaced with dark, ominous fear. He could almost feel his heart stopping. He trembled, and could see right through it, as it slowly but shakily leant down to address its reluctant host. It opened its mouth unsurely. Somewhere between his fear and rationality, Scrooge could see that the spirit was very unsure of itself, as if everything it was doing, it was doing for the first time as the spirit it now was. It opened its mouth half a dozen times, as if to loosen its jaw up in preparation for speech. Scrooge noticed that as it did this, the spirit's form was solidifying in part. So whereas before he was shivering and quaking before the form of disembodied lungs, veins and bones, the skin of a young man gradually faded into being before his eyes. The spirit suddenly made a sound which mimicked the sound of someone gasping for breath, except the way it was doing it, it was as if it were dying all over again, or perhaps in a fashion coming back to life. Despite the fear crawling all over him, Scrooge felt himself moving forward, perhaps out of morbid curiosity. Then suddenly the spirit straightened up and looked to be in more control of its faculties than before. It looked around the room, as if it had only just noticed where it was, and a smile gradually started to grow across its face and stopped, as if it were remembering a joke that was told in poor taste. Scrooge felt afraid again. But before it could get a proper hold upon him, he wanted to speak, to say something to try and normalise the situation as much as was possible. Spirits, why, why are you here? The spirit snapped its head to look at him, only then realising it had company. The eyes pierced through him, like two spikes knowing exactly where to strike. Why, um... I hear. The voice was cold and distant, as if it were coming from everywhere except the spirit, and the room grew colder. Why am I here? This time it sounded more grounded, but confused, as if it were asking a question of itself. Then, in a mockery of human behaviour, it put its hand to its mouth in shock. 
It had remembered the answer to the question. Its mouth contorted into a smile, which seemed to have scared Scrooge more unnatural and unnerving than before, as if the face had never hosted such a pleasant thing as a smile. I am here... The voice was quicker and more youthful now than before. I am here to save you, Ebenezer Scrooge. And the room grew colder still.